I'm not sure if any one of those images really connected with you. For me, it was that one where uh, the gentleman got his dessert and then it got pulled away from him. That, that, that'll preach right there. Um, <laughs> well, one thing I want to hit on, you saw those water bottles most likely when you first walked in. And one of the reasons those are there, uh, one, that's what we're passing out at the expos, but those aren't just water bottles. Those are uh, just shy of 1,900 potential personal invites, inviting someone to engage in with, with, with the life and the community here at Meadowland, knowing that this is a place where they will hear the good news of Jesus and they will witness it being lived out. Uh, at Spring Grove, Richmond, Burton area, the one that we had yesterday, uh, over 300 of those went out. And so 300 are already gone as, as we've passed those out. And uh, there's still a stack left you can see. And so I don't see that as a stack of water bottles, but a stack of uh, potential invites to reach out to our community. And so when we see it that way, it helps us to understand a little more the value and the significance of just putting ourselves out there and just reaching out to people with an invite. So how would you describe yourself? How would you describe your voice? Maybe a low, manly voice. I'm trying to fit myself in there. I had a uh, discipline one of my kids yesterday, and, and she just wasn't listening. And uh, sometimes my wife will say, Steve, can you use your man voice? And I'm like, no, I can't today. I got nothing. I went to you, I'm like, Olivia! Yeah. <laughs> she just kind of looked at me and laughed and went on with, it, with whatever she was doing. Uh, but more specifically, imagine you were filling out a dating profile. And if you're already married, just think back to before you were married. How, how would you describe yourself in this dating profile? What, what makes you amazing? What makes you intriguing to others? What are some of the attributes that you would list that you would uh, put on there? Uh, maybe you're in a significant relationship already. Uh, how would the person you're with describe you? How would you describe them? Maybe for those, uh, you could say, you know, has a great sense of humor, they're creative, they're a hard worker, they're dedicated. But see, what, what's, what's interesting is, think about some of those descriptions that have just come through your mind and what makes you that? What makes you a hard worker? Is it that title? Or is it the action of actually working hard? Think about that, that title of being dedicated. Is, is that what makes you dedicated, the fact that someone says, yeah, that's someone who's dedicated? Or is it that you do the work of dedication? That you're committed to all that you do. What makes you funny? If you figure it out, I'd really love to know because I need to grow in that area. I keep telling my kids to tell, tell me that I'm funnier than my wife, but that's okay. <laughs> so what makes you funny? Is it, is it the title? Hey, that's a funny guy. Or is it the ability to make someone laugh and put a smile on their face? See, the significance of these ways that we describe ourselves doesn't lie in the title, but it lies in the action. See, so what makes someone loving? You say, hey, one way I describe myself, I'm a very loving person. What, what, what makes you loving? Is it that title? Is it the things you say to be able, hey, you know, I say I love you all the time to all kinds of people. Well, well, that's a good thing. I'm not dissing that. Hey, let's do that more and more. The words of I love you aren't necessarily what make you loving, but it's the action of showing love. And see, that is what this series is all about here this morning, love does. It's about the action of love, that love is only love when it's in action. You say, well, Steve, isn't love an emotion too? You know, I, I see it all the time on romantic comedies where you know, you just love at first sight. And, and love at first sight is easy because you don't know the person yet. And, and so 
You have these feelings of, of being in love. And well, I kind of touched on this last week where I talked about that, yes, there's all kinds of different ways that we use this term love. I talked about how I love my wife. You know, I, I love Meadowland. I, I love this place. Um, I love uh, Taco Tuesdays. And he says, Steve, are you really going to bring that up again? Well, I brought it up last Sunday, and we had Taco Tuesday. So yes, I'm going to bring it up if it has that kind of power. It can be Taco Wednesday or Thursday. It doesn't matter. But uh, there's all kinds of different ways we, we can use this word love. But the love that we are talking about here this morning is the love that is God and the love that's from God. Okay, Again, we hit on this last week a bit as we introed our, our series. Uh, 1 John 4, 7 through 11 tells us this. Beloved, let us love one another. First of all, what a great way to start. John's going to start talking about love. Hey, just you know, this is you guys. You're loved. Beloved. Let us, one, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Have you ever wondered, why, why did God send Jesus? So that we could have life in and through him. Because apart from Jesus, we, we have what the Bible would call sin that separates us from God. And, and the Bible says the wages of that, what we earn through our mistakes, the ways we've gone against God, is death, is separation from God, both physical and spiritual. But God says, hey, I want to make a way for you to be in my presence. And so he offers us Jesus as a perfect atoning sacrifice. Jesus walked this life as, as both fully man and fully God. Being so, he was able to live a free, sinless life. And so when he laid his life down on the cross, he didn't deserve death. And so when we, when we trust in him, when we say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, what we're saying is, is I trust in your sacrifice on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And I, I receive that free gift that you've given me, Jesus. And then this, this is why God sent his son. And so some might say, hey, you know, do you really think that God only made one way for, for us to be with him? Yes, but I, I think of it this way. God made a way. How amazing, because apart from Jesus, we'd be dead. We'd be separated fully from God. So we see this verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to, the, to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So we've seen this, this heart of God, his love for us, and how it moves us to respond. How? By loving God and by loving others. And that's what we're talking about here this morning, that God is a love, uh, God is love, and his love is a love of action. We see this in that he sent his only son. And so what is our response to the love of God? Well, we could sum up all of last week talking about one of the ways we can respond to God's love is through obedience, Right? Obeying his commands. He would say that that, that is how you live out love to, to God, is to obey his commands, to surrender to his will. We closed out last week with 1 John 4, 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so if we've seen a way to respond to the love of God is by loving him through obedience and surrender, and then we see here in 1 John 4, they say, hey, one of the commands of God is to go and love others. Well, we need to examine that. Okay, so we know about loving God. What does it look like 
the, 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 the action of loving others. Well, for this answer, I'm going to turn to a verse that I'm going to guess the majority of us are familiar with. You may even sit there and say, Steve, hey, this is my first time being in a church in 10 years. How, how can I be familiar with this verse? Well, there's another context where we find this verse that we're going to dig in here today. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you want to open up your Bibles, that's where we're going to be for the rest of our time together. 1 Corinthians 13. If you want to turn on your Bibles, go ahead. Uh, we, we definitely encourage that. There, there's uh, Meadowland free Wi-Fi in the building. If you need to hop online and download a Bible app, um, we, we encourage that. Get the Word of God in front of you any way that you can. It will be on the screen as well. Bows up in the loft. You should have Bibles on your seats uh, if you need to grab one of those. <coughs> if you're a betting man, five bucks says I kicked that over at some point here this morning. All right, First Corinthians 13 is where we're going to be. Um, <coughs> and the words in this verse... For some people, you know, they, they, they wrote them into their vows, or they write them into poems and songs. Uh, you may even have some of these words written on your walls, either in, in you know, artwork that you framed or just actually written on your walls, some of these words. I mean, they're, they're that significant, that powerful. Some of you may have written these in a different way. You may have fully written off 1 Corinthians 13 and said, oh, yeah, every time it comes up, I just, I, I tune out because I'm so sick and tired of hearing that verse. That the main place you hear this is at weddings. This is one of the most common verses that is ever read at weddings. Typically, you just see 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, and they tag on 13. It sounds awesome. It fits well into the concept of the heart of a wedding. Let's read it here. You can follow along with me. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to start in verse 4. When we get to 7, after verse 7, we're going to jump to the end of the chapter of verse 13. Let me know if you've heard this one before. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Now you may say, hey, Steve, it sounded a little differently you know, when I've heard it before. Okay, well, depending on which translation you, you've read out of, you say, why, why are there all these different translations? Well, again, yeah, there's different ways you can translate a word into the, uh, another language, whether you go word for word, thought for thought, and so each translator has tried their best to really get to the heart of what these different terms are saying. <coughs> but we all see this continuity of this list of what love is and what love is not. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? The only problem I have with this verse is most of the time when I've seen it used in a wedding, it's used backwards. Stick with me here, let me explain what I mean. Too often, this is a picture or a portrait that's painted as to why we're there that day. Hey, love is all these great things, and I've found these great things in this person, and so I'm going to marry them. I'm going to marry them because of what love is, and I see it in them. It's almost like the, the, the wedding day is the, the, the period on the end of the sentence. It's the, the period at the end of verse 13. Hey, they've been all these things to me. I'm in love with them because they love me. 
I want to marry this person because of these things. I feel this way because you are this kind of person. And the focus is put on the other person's attributes and the other person's actions. And the problem with this is at some point or another, when you do life with someone else, whether in marriage, as a family, as a friend, as a coworker, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a neighbor, give it enough time and you'll fail each other. You'll, you'll step on each other's toes. Conflict will arise. Something that is unloving will, will find its way in and start to, to mess around in, in that relationship. And so if this is the, the, the exclamation point, the period on that wedding day, then all of a sudden we forget some of those things. Oh yeah, that was, I felt that way on that day, but things have changed. You know, it becomes the, okay, well, we don't bring it with us into the marriage. How we should look at this verse, how we should look at this verse is <clears throat> to see it as a promise. A promise that we're making to the person that we're giving these vows to. Not so much a portrait of, of what brought us to this point, but hey, from this point forward, I promise to love you in these ways. From this point forward, I will be patient, I will be kind, I, I will strive to do these things. <coughs> I stand here today promising that I will do this. So the focus has turned from, here's all the things I love about you, to here's how I'm going to love you. It changes from this picture of love to a promise of love. Here's the action of what I'm going to do. Have you ever had a friend who's married? Maybe they're pursuing divorce, they've gone through divorce before, or, or things are just kind of rocky right now, and they use something along the lines of the phrase, well, we've just kind of fallen out of love. If they're already married and they've made that commitment before God and their family and their friends to say, hey, this is my spouse, the best advice, while difficult and tough, the best advice that you can give them is we'll fall back in. Fall back in. So what do you mean? You can't just fall back into all these emotions of, of love and you can't just say, okay, all of a sudden, you know, every time I see them, I'm going to see Cupid and hearts and, and you know, see them through uh, just rose-colored glasses. Well, no, when we, as we're going to come to see, love is an action. And so like, like a soldier getting back in line, saying, okay, here's my duty, here's my responsibility, here's what I committed to. And to begin to do those actions of love, if someone's saying, hey, we've just kind of fallen out of love, chances are you could go through that list and find a whole bunch of ones that, hey, we haven't done this in a while. Some do-nots in there as well. We've been doing all these do-nots, and we've not been doing all these do's. I guarantee you, as you pursue God, and especially when you're both doing this together, if you were to begin to love each other in this ways, that feeling of love, the emotion of love, that will come as we live out the action of love. So now this verse has been typecasted. It's been kind of uh, pigeon-toed into this love chapter. Hey, it only belongs at weddings and on walls and poems. That's the only place that, that 1 Corinthians 13 goes. And, and that's just not true. One of the things I, I want to do here this morning is I want to pull this verse out of that context and put it back into the context with which it was originally written. And then see, in light of that, what does this mean for us? Who... Who does this reveal God to be? How should we go and live as we seek to love others? <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you again just for bearing with me in all this. Imagine your favorite book. Got it in your head? You probably know what the covers look like, front and back. 
What does the, the front cover say? You don't need to say it, just kind of think your mind. Well, what's on the front cover? Maybe even flip to that, that, those first couple opening pages. What words do you find? What's it about? Okay, now in your head, flip all the way to the back of the book. Maybe the back cover where it has that little synopsis, what it's about. Maybe the end, you know, the final closing chapters. What, what's that about? Do you, do you have that in your head? The beginning and the end. If you were to share with someone next to you, hey, here's what the beginning and the end is, do you think they could figure out what the middle's about? They may not have the details, but when you see the beginning and the end and there's that, that continuity between them, you can assume that what comes in between, it's, it's part of the same thought, right? It's in that same context. It's part of the same book. And see, that's what we see going on here in 1 Corinthians 13, is if we go to 1 Corinthians 12, one chapter before, we see the Apostle Paul is teaching the, the church in Corinthians, the Christians in Corinthians. He's saying, hey, there's spiritual gifts that God has given us. He's given everyone at least one. God has gifted you for the ministry that he's called you to do. God has called you to go and make disciples of all nations. God has called out on all of us. And he has equipped you through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to go and do just that. And so if there's something you feel like God's saying, hey, this is, this is where I want you to go, and you're like, God, that terrifies me. I don't know if I can do that. Know that he will equip you. He will give you the gifts you need to accomplish his will. So 1 Corinthians 12 is all about spiritual gifts and how we use them as the body of Christ. Okay? So it's not just me and God and the spiritual gift he's given me, but as we all come together in the body, how does that all get used? How does it play out? Where do we use this gift and how does this gift fit in? And then we jump to 1 Corinthians 13 and we get our love verse that we just read a portion of. And then we get to 1 Corinthians 14. We flip back to the, the next chapter, and we see again, it's about spiritual gifts. And it's also about the corporate aspect of the body of Christ, of how uh, gifts like speaking in tongues and prophecy are, are to be used in orderly worship, and how they serve one another, how they build up the body, and how they proclaim the truth of Jesus. And so do you think Paul would have just snuck in there, hey, I'm talking about spiritual gifts, I'm talking about tongues and prophecy and all this different kind of stuff that we do together as the body of Christ. Oh, by the way, if you're getting married, let me give you a little chapter. This is some good stuff. Okay, now let's get back over here to spiritual gifts. Oh, it's all part of the same thought. We can actually see this in, in uh, chapter 14. The first verse says this. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. Just, just give, me, give me your ear real quick here. 1 Corinthians 14.1. If you got 13 open, you can probably see it right there and follow along. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so you see there is a clear connection that, that love and using the gifts that God has given us to go and care for our community and, and, and to proclaim his name, give him glory, there's a connection between those. And so all of a sudden when we begin to pull this back from the clutches of bridezillas and put it into the context in which God first gave us this first. And if you're a bride or a future bride or who used this first or who wants to use it, I'm not picking on you. I apologize if it feels that way. This is a beautiful verse. I, you know, I think we even use it in ours. I can't tell you for sure. I probably should be able to, but just don't tell my wife. Um, I know the song we danced to. The first song was on the radio. Anyway, um, don't make me tell you, though. <laughs> So it's, a, it's a beautiful verse, um, but there's a connection here. This context is far more than just in marriage. It's far more than just weddings, but it's about the body of Christ glorifying God and reaching out to their community in the ways that God has gifted them. So when we see it that way, 
hopefully, if you're one of those that wants to dismiss this verse, like, hey, I've heard it too often, and I just, I'm, I'm done with it. Hopefully, it gives it new life for you. Hopefully, it, okay, I can, I can listen to this again and see, it's not just in a marriage relationship that I should love in these ways, but it's in a friendship, but it's in a neighbor relationship, but it's with my coworkers, it's with the people that I really don't like. If you have enemies or people you consider enemies, it's with my enemies. It's with um, the people I disagree with. It's with the people in my community. It's with the people I haven't talked to for years because of conflict that has grown between us. It applies in every single one of those categories. It applies as how we live together as the body of Christ. This is a verse that's talking about a love for others. So while it's focused on love, it's connected to this using our gifts to be the church, to love God, and to love others. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, that's just referring to the, the, the gift of uh, speaking in tongues, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul said, hey, you can use all these things that God's given you, but apart from love, it's nothing. He lists a whole bunch of spiritual gifts there, the gift of tongues. Uh, individually, this is, is, is referred to as a language of prayer, where um, you may not you know, know the words you say, but the Holy Spirit just speaks through you in, in a language that God would understand. There's also a corporate version of that, where there's someone who can interpret that. Uh, it's also another corporate version of that is where you can speak a language of man that you don't know, but God has empowered you to be able to speak and understand for the sake of furthering the gospel. Yes, we don't see some of these all that often anymore, but they still exist, and they're biblical, and these are things that, again, God has given us through his word, ways to see in which how this plays out. For example, if we were to keep going through uh, Paul's letter here, we see when it comes to um, speaking in tongues publicly in service. If someone were to stand up right now and say, hey, I have a message from God, I'm going to speak to you, and it's going to be in tongues, the very next thing that we should do as a church is stop them and say, is there an interpreter? Has God given someone a gift to be able to understand what this person's saying? And if there's not, then that person shouldn't speak. And they should, they should be silent and say, no, that's, that's not how this works. God has laid this out in Scripture. So anyway. They're speaking in tongues. There's prophecy. Prophecy is, is powerfully proclaiming God's truth. There's knowledge, having a deep understanding of God's word. Faith, a unique trust in God's will and plan despite opposition. We see in there a heart of generosity. If I give all away, God's, uh, we're all called to live a life of generosity. The same way that uh, some of these other things we've already looked at, you know, we can all have knowledge, we can all have faith, but sometimes God has gifted us in these areas, and there are some who are able to be more generous than others. Uh, we would see an example of martyrdom. If I deliver my body up to be burned, but do it without love, then it's for nothing. See, without love, we say nothing, we are nothing, and we gain nothing. Some heavy words. Heavy words there. Again, hopefully that helps pull this verse back from just being something read at weddings. So this is instructions for how we are to go and live. So Paul is teaching the church how to use their spiritual gifts, how to serve their community, and how, how to glorify God. And he said, well, is there really a wrong way to do that? Do we, do we need to be taught how to do that? Well, well there is. It's, it's a matter of the heart. Think of these two questions. When you serve, do you serve out of a love for God or out of an obligation? 
Do you serve for love for God or out of obligation? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to do this. When you use your gifts, are you using them to advance your name? You want people to see, oh, wow, you built that? Look how amazing you are. Oh, you, you, you taught all these kids this? Man, you, you're amazing. Are we doing it for that purpose, to get that praise? Or are we doing it to glorify God's name and to make much of him? What's the, what's the heart? And then that's what Paul's getting at here, saying, hey, it's not just the action of what we're doing, but the heart behind it. So if love is action, we also then need to engage the heart. So we're to use our gods, we're to use our gifts out of love for God and love for others. So then Paul gets to this list. Seven love is statements and eight love is not or do not, does not. Total of 15 actions of love. And See, whenever we come to a list like this in Scripture, sometimes it can seem a little daunting. Oh, 15 things, okay. So we got 15 more points we need to unpack and see I need to do this and I need to do this. And okay, so basically Steve here gave me a list of 15 things I'm probably not doing really well, right? That's how I felt when I read it. When you come across this list, when you come across other lists like it in Scripture, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find a few things in that list that you feel like God is working on you in. It's going to be that one that hits a sore spot. It's going to be that one that's like, you know what, I've been hearing stuff on this all, all month. It's going to be the one that you don't want to hear. Oh, that made the list. I don't want to deal with that one. Just take a few of them and surrender that to God. Say, God, okay, I'm here I'm pursuing you. Help me to love in these ways. Or if it's a different kind of list, help me to live in this way or that way. I'm not saying we disregard the whole list. I'm saying just focus on a few. If you are a guardian for a child who comes home with a report card and they have six or seven different um, subjects on that report card and they're, they're doing poorly in all of them, failing or just doing worse than you know that they could do, would you scold that child and say, all right, Set aside the next seven hours each and every day. We're going to take an hour each subject and we're going to work on each and every one. You may want to do that out of your anger and frustration, but you wouldn't do that because you know that wouldn't be helpful. That would just frustrate more and that would just beat them down more. You say, okay, let's, let's work on a few. Okay, as we grow in that, we can work on the rest. So you still have a holistic approach, but just really see where, where's God leaning me towards. And say, what are the one that kind of hurts a little bit? You're like, oh, that, okay, that's the one that God wants you to kind of Spend a little more attention on this week, this month. So as we go through this list, I give you permission to do that. If we get to one or two or three, that's like, man, I, I'm done, Steve. I, I know what God's calling me to go do this week. And this, you know, some, some, I, I got some business I need to do with God and some business I need to do with others. I, I give you permission to check out and focus on that. Now, there might be some other things that come up, so still kind of listen in, but don't feel like this list of 15 things are, hey, here's 15 things I'm not doing well that I have to go do better. Because again, remember, we're already loved by God. It doesn't have anything to do with our action, but with who he is. And so let's model that and love others regardless of what they do, but simply because of who they are in God. Another thing we want to hit on as we look at this list is remember that love is God. God is love. Love is from God. God is love and love is from God. So really what this is, is this is a character study of God. If love is patient, that means that Jesus is patient. If love is kind, then that means that God is kind. If love is not self-seeking, it means Jesus is not self-seeking. And so as you go through those, the other thing we can do, yes, we can look at it and say, how can I grow? What's God want to do in me? But we can also acknowledge, who, who is God like? Okay, if God is these things, then what does that mean for me? And that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. 
This is a character study of God. Lastly, before we zip through this list of 15 things, it is the best thing that we can do in our marriage, in our families, at work, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our 4-H, in our Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, in our clubs, in our hobbies, in our friendships. The best thing that we can do for those relationships (coughs) is to pursue God first. Pursue Him first. And as you pursue Him, He does a work in us and through us. So as we're talking about loving others, it's got to begin with pursuing God first and loving Him. Also, if you feel like you get to any of these and you're like, you know what, Steve, I've already failed on that so bad, I I flamed out. Crash and burn. You know, there's no coming back for me on, on this aspect of love or that aspect of love. If you feel that way, please know that past failures of loving others is not the final story. It's not the end of the story. God is not the God of second chances. Every time I hear that, I, I know what people are saying and I understand that. But that puts a limit on it. He's not a God of second chances. He's a God of grace, a God of mercy. If you're just a God of second chances, man, there's some areas of my life, I'm, you know, I, I lost track of what chance I'm on. I keep blowing it. But God continues to reach out to me with grace and mercy. If you failed in some of these areas like I have, know that that's not the final story. I had the opportunity, the privilege of uh, seeing some of our students uh, who, who attend here regularly and some who have just been by and some uh, family uh, here at Meadowland uh, in a high school play. It was a spelling bee. And in the play, every time someone got out, they misspelled the word, there was someone waiting in the wings who gave them a hug and a juice box. I thought, how cool is that? You know, if every time we fail, there was someone waiting with a hug and a juice box. But then they could come back the following year. And so as we look at our own failures, know that it's not the end of the story. That there's another opportunity tomorrow to show the love of God as we pursue him and show it to others. So let's zip through these. As we get to this list, again, you find the one, two, or three that you say, hey, this, God, God gave me some stuff to work on this week, and, and I know what he's, what he's saying to me. All right, Steve, I got my one or two or three. First one, love is patient. Patience has to do with long suffering. If you feel like you have this one covered, please know that it can always go longer and there can always be more suffering. Patience is a tricky one. I used to think I was a patient man. Then we had three kids. God is working on me. 2 Peter 3.9, God's patience. Well, it talks about how God's patience uh, is not him not being active, but it's him not wanting any to be missed. He wants as many people as possible to come to a place of repentance, of trusting in him. And so we say, okay, it's been over 2,000 years since Christ came. How come God hasn't come again and and put an end to all this? And the final judgment day, it's because he's patient, waiting for more and more people to repent and return to him. There's no clock on love because love is patient. Love is kind. Kindness will withhold what harms and it will give what heals. Kindness will withhold what harms and give what heals. And what's interesting is that it can still be tough as we do that. And it can still leave scars. Have you ever tried to give a cat medicine? Have you ever tried to give a child medicine who doesn't want said medicine? Kindness, love and kindness can leave scars. It can be tough. We need to be a a people who say, I love you enough 
to say the difficult things. I love you enough to do the difficult things that I know you may not like, they may be tough, but it's kind because I'm trying to help you avoid what will harm you and I'm trying to help give you what will heal you. There's multiple authors I've heard to use of this phrase and so I'm not sure who to give the credit, um, but some along the lines of God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. That he's working in us through kindness. Kindness motivates others towards a response of love and action. And especially in this world today, when we show love to people, I think it makes them kind of stop and take notice. So wait a minute, that was weird. I kind of feel all warm and gooey inside. It's because our world isn't kind. And so if we can show kindness, people will take note, and then we can point them to Jesus in that. Love is not envious. Love is patient. It is kind. We have two of our uh, seven love is. Now we're going to jump into love is not or does not one. Love is not envious. It's talking about jealousy, uh, a wanting of what others have. Here's how you can tell if you are jealous. Do you have a displeasure with the success of others? When someone else in your life succeeds, does that make you angry? If it does, you, you got some work to do. God's trying to soften your heart on this, I believe, because the jealousy has found its way in. You're being envious. Do you have displeasure with what you've been blessed with? If you do, there's probably some jealousy or some envious in there, enviousness that needs to be worked out as we pursue God. Best way we can do that is to acknowledge our flawed view, that we only see the good from a distance. You ever heard the phrase, grass is always greener on the other side? It may be true. You look at your neighbor's yard, man, they got a green lawn. That's just the greenest lawn I've ever seen. But you know what you realize when you get close? Oh, it's all weeds. Okay. And then you look back where you just came from. You're like, oh, that's a green lawn. Oh, wait, that's where I just was. The grass is always greener. So when you leave one place to go to somewhere else and you look back, the grass is always greener. It's because you only see in the good from the distance. And it's when you start doing life together that you really see some of the mess. And you can think about any relationship that you're in. And then think about something new. You're, you're in a romantic relationship, and then someone new comes along. And there's a temptation because all you're seeing is the goodness. And you probably just had a fight over here, and that's not fun. But that's a lie that that's the whole story. You're in a friendship, and you and your friend are just getting on each other's nerves, and all of a sudden there's a new friend popping in, and it's like, hey, all you see is the goodness. So we need to fight against jealousy and envious, enviousness. Regain, by the one way we can do that is by regaining a right view of what we have and regaining a right view of others. The best way we can do that is through prayer. Praying for those that we are envious of and praying that God will give us a perspective, uh, maybe pray for those who would see that we have less than we do. And we'd be able to count our own blessings. So love is patient, love is kind, it is not envious. Love does not boast. Uh, another way we can say this is that love does not brag. Boasting is, is trying to make others jealous. You're, you're almost goading them. Like, hey, look at how awesome I am. Look at all the, the stuff I got. Look what I can do. You're, you're longing for praise, which results in nothing. Because if you get the praise you just baited someone for, it's not a genuine uh, praise of, hey, you know, that was pretty cool. No, you're, you're just boasting. You're, you're baiting them for that. So let's shift from boasting to a pattern of encouragement. Imagine if every time we bragged on ourselves, instead we encouraged someone. We lifted them up. Hey, that was awesome. I saw you show that person love. 
I've never met someone who's been a complete screw-up. Well, Steve, you haven't met my Uncle Joe. No, I've never met someone who is a complete screw-up. I don't care how much is going wrong in your life. I don't care how much you'd say it's your own fault. There is always something that you can find. You can say, you know what? Hey, this is something that would honor God. The way you care for your friends, man, that was awesome. Sure, it was in the context of, you know, helping them puke out their guts after you both got drunk last night, but hey, you loved your friend even in the midst of that. We can always see where God is working in people because God is always there working. So let's shift to a pattern of encouraging others. Shift to a pattern of praising God, of giving praise to God instead of trying to get it for ourselves. So love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. If, if boasting is striving for praise, arrogance is striving for power. See, we're, we're called to serve others, to humble ourselves, and arrogance is just the opposite of that. See, ar- arrogance would never go down to their knees and wash someone else's dirty, stinky feet. Yeah, our Lord and Savior did just that, washing the feet of his disciples. True leadership will lead through service by elevating others, whereas arrogance uses others to get ahead and and stepping on them uh, to get one step ahead. Love is not rude. This is one that too often I, I see as we try to justify it in ourselves. Maybe you say something or you do something and someone who saw it, witnessed it, who has you know, the, 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 the ability to speak into your life says, man, that was, that was kind of rude. Well, yeah, but they were rude first. Well, yeah, they had it coming. Well, yeah, but it was true. I'm just being honest. You're still being a jerk. You know, I've been there before too. You know, it's like, it's like, it always blows my mind that as followers of Christ, how rude we can be at times. And the proper, response, the proper response to this one, if this is one that you feel like you're dealing with right now, it's simple. It's repentance. We just need to repent of that rudeness because that's not loving towards others. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not self-seeking. Some of the other translations say. It's not selfish. You know, one of the things that we do with our kids is if we're going to give them a snack that's not e- evenly divisible, you know, here's two cookies, each get one. Uh, here's one, one candy bar or something. You have one of them divide it and the other one gets to choose. Do you ever do that with your siblings growing up? Because you know if, if your sibling is going to choose, you're not going to give, you know, it's not, okay, I, I keep 90%, here's your 10%. I mean, you, you're going to bust out a microscope and a tape measure, and you're going to get that thing spot on 50%. You're going to melt down the Snickers bar and separate it out, chocolate here, peanut here, nugget here, divide them up evenly, put them back together, reconstitute as a Snickers bar, and then say, here's your half-sibling. Because you don't want them getting 51% of the candy bar. No, it's 50-50. We, we, we have this, this, this heart of everything's got to be fair. It's got to be, you know, I, I have to get mine. But love does not insist on its own way. Love is willing to lay down our rights for the sake of blessing others. Sure, mom and dad said this is for us. And, you know, so I have a right to have my 50%. But you know what? Hey, I love you. You, you can have the bigger piece. If you still do that with your siblings, next time that comes up where they divide it, take the smaller half and see what they do. Love is not irritable. It's not easily provoked. It's not quick to take offense. Man, how can we have time to share Jesus if we're too easily offended? If we're too busy getting offended about the things this world is doing, how can we find time to share Jesus? that we live in a world that is in need of hearing about the good news of Jesus, we need to stop being so touchy and so sensitive, church. Yes, there's a shift in our world, and it's, 
less convenient, less prosperous to be, uh, claim yourself as a Christian. But that, that shouldn't matter. That shouldn't matter. We shouldn't be offended so easily or, or, or uh, be, um, take offense to some of the things going on in our world because it's just the world being the world. We should be encouraging and praising the things that are getting right, the things that, that those who don't know Jesus are doing, where we do see love, where we do see things like, hey, this will make God happy. That's awesome. We should be encouraging, but we're too busy getting irritated and offended by everything. And I'm with you on it. I get it. You hear things like, oh, I don't, I don't like that. That shouldn't be in the world. But let's see that for what it is. That's the result of people living apart from Jesus. And let's humble ourselves. Let's have a heart of compassion and say, you know what? I don't have time to get offended about this because that's someone who needs to see the love of Jesus. And I can show them that love by not being irritable, not being easily provoked. Love is not resentful, keeps no record of wrongs, other translations would say. See, the, the word here, that the original Greek that translates as resentful, it's an accounting word. It's talking about keeping track of numbers, keeping track of debts. Love does not keep a ledger of debt that is owed, does not keep a ledger of wrongdoing. When you fight with someone... Does history ever come up? Well, you remember that time. It, if history is coming up, then you got some work to do on those topics. Hey, honey, I thought we were done with that. I thought we were past that. Obviously not. If history is coming up in the midst of, of conflict, we have to work through that still. And let us work for forgiveness. The opposite of, of, of being resentful is being forgiving. Not keeping a record of wrong, but dismissing it. And the best way we can do this, again, look to the character of God. If you're having a hard time forgiving someone, if you're having a hard time wiping that ledger clean, not only wiping it clean, but then tearing it up, throwing it away, and lighting the, the, the garbage on fire, because, hey, I don't even want to keep a ledger of wrongdoings. I want to show you love. If you're having a hard time doing that, first look at the love that God has shown you. See, church, we all acknowledge here, we're, we're pretty honest about it, we're all a mess. You know, we all have, again, our total mask. You know, God's working in us. We, we see our need for a Savior. We don't claim to be perfect. We claim to know who our Savior is, who's perfecting us, who's making us perfect. And so we need to acknowledge all the different ways that God has shown us forgiveness and has loved us. So that's one of the, one of the best ways we can grow in not keeping a, a list of wrongdoings is remember what God has done in our life. The other thing we can do is remember that God offers forgiveness to the person we're having a problem with. When you look at that ledger, here's all these things that you're, you're keeping track of. God's already offered them forgiveness on that. And if anything, he, he's the one they're against. And so if God can forgive that, let us follow suit and do the same. So love is not resentful, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Really, we have to ask this question. Do we love what God loves? Do we hate what God hates? Are we seeking his heart? One of the best places we can apply this is, is to our areas of entertainment, the things that we uh, expose ourselves to. Are we rejoicing in wrongdoing? Again, another way to find this one in your life is, is what are you trying to justify? Every time you go and do something, your friend's like, yeah, that, does, that doesn't fit with who you claim to be as a follower of Christ. Well, yeah, I know, but here's why it's okay for me to do this. Here's why it's okay for me to be rude, you know? What is that thing you're trying to justify? That's rejoicing and wrongdoing. Love rejoices with the truth. All right, we're shifting back to here's what love is. It rejoices with truth. Celebrate, stand on what is true, church. Let us join together in this. Our culture is so willing to bend and distort truth. If this is one you feel God's working on you, start small. Commit 
to being honest in the smallest of ways. One of the ways this plays out in my family, as we talked about really wanting to be truthful in everything, is we said, you know what? We don't want to lie to our kids. Well, Steve, that's easy. Who's going to lie to their kids? Yeah, try it for a week. Oh, this is good for you. You're really going to like this. No, you're not going to like it. No, you can't have a cookie. We're all out of them. No, I got a whole stash up in the, in the cabinet. We say, just think of these little things. If you can be truthful in these little small ways, then we'll be able to be truthful in, in bigger ways and bigger ways and bigger ways. Let's stand on what is true. And I like my cookies, so it's hard to say, yeah, there's more. You just can't have them. Love rejoices with the truth. Uh, love bears all things. This word is cool. Uh, has this imagery of a roof. So that's kind of weird. It bears all things. It's this, this covering, this protectant. So if we love others, we want to see them cared for. We want to see them protected. One of the best ways that this plays itself out is how we handle our conflict. A covering that offers protection from the elements doesn't air its dirty laundry. If we're trying to care for and love and protect someone else, we don't put them out there and say, hey, that guy's a jerk, that guy uh, is all these things, or this girl is doing all these in front of others, because that's not protecting them. That's putting them out there. Well, oh yeah, that's me too. Yeah, you're right. Now they become outcast. So this love bears all things means we don't air our dirty laundry out in public, and Facebook is public too, means that we approach them privately. Say, hey, can we work through these things? Because I want to bear with you in this. Yes, it'd be fun to talk about this, it'd be fun to gossip about this, but it's not right. It's not loving. Love bears all things, it protects. See that as an act of protection. Next time you want to go gossip about a friend or a loved one, or even someone you don't like, think about, hey, if I hold this, if I hold my tongue, I'm loving them by protecting who they are. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Geesty, that sounds real ignorant. It's not talking about this ignorant act of love or just like, oh yeah, whatever you say, honey. Or to a friend or whatever. But it's a heart of believing the best, giving people the benefit of the doubt. It's also this act of calling someone to something. This is how God treats us, right? We trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. What does Scripture call us after that? child of God, holy, a saint. Man, I see that list and I'm like, I don't know who you're talking about, but that's not me. That's who God says I am. That's who God says you are when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And then he does the hard work of, of refining us, of making us to be holy, making us to be a saint, making us a child of God. So let's believe all things, give the benefit of the doubt, call people to something, and believe that they can be that. Love hopes all things. Love refuses to take failure as final, never loses faith in others. And when you struggle with this, if this is one like, hey, Steve, you're speaking to me now, remember who our God is. Our God is the one who changes lives. Our God is, is the one who takes the dead and gives life. Steve, you don't know how bad this relationship is strained. I haven't spoken to my siblings in 20 years. You don't know who our God is. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Jacob and Esau, right? When they came back and had a restored relationship, what, what, what had Jacob done? He'd stolen his brother's birthright, taken all that was supposed to be his, then came back home with his riches, be like, hey, how's it going? But God restored that relationship. Love hopes all things, and love endures all things. 
perseveres. Uh, this, is, again, this is a military term. Endurance, this means holding a position at all cost, sustaining the assault of an enemy, whatever it takes. So as we look at this, this love endures all things. It leaves us with this truth that attacks will come. As we love others, whoever you're thinking about, whether it be at home, at church, at work, in the community, those you don't like, those you don't agree with, as we love others, we will take on attacks. It won't be easy all the time. It will be a challenge to continue to love others. But let us know that love endures all things. You say, well, Steve, but I have all kinds of examples where love didn't endure. Remember, these are actions that we're to go and do as we love. So we can endure. We can say, okay, yeah, I'm going to take that next step. I'm going to continue to fight this fight. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Why? Because this. Because love never ends. Let us choose to continue to love because it continues into eternity. There's not much that we'll bring with us. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13. We'll wrap up with this. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Basically saying, hey, there'll come a day where there's no need for these things anymore. Because God will have finished his work of refining his people. He's finished his work of, of redemption and salvation. And will be with him in paradise. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Basically what Paul's talking about is, hey, we don't have the whole picture right now. It's like looking in a foggy mirror. You're just seeing a reflection, but one day we will stand face to face with God. It's like a child who grows. We don't, we don't have it all together yet, but we, it's, it's a process. There's a perfecting process that's going on here. And then verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Other gifts, other skills, other talents, other abilities, other things that we can pour ourselves into will not necessarily last but love will. Love will. And not only will love last, but as we share, we love people enough to share the good news of Jesus. And God takes their dead heart and makes it alive in Christ. They now last. Let's pray. Father God, help us to be a church that will pursue you first and foremost in all things. As much as we just uh, kind of do this hard work of, of chugging through a list of 15 things that we should do and shouldn't do as we seek to love others. Father God, it can seem so daunting. It can seem so huge. So Father, let us first turn to you and to love you and to pursue you and find out more about who you are. And then, Father, as you bring a few of these topics to heart of areas that you, you're wanting to do some refining in us, I pray, one, you'd make that clear. I pray, two, that you would help us to see you more in that as you help us to be more patient and kind, help us to see how you're patient and kind, as you bear with us, as you endure, Father, with us, as you believe all things and hope all things and trust all things, calling us to be holy children of God. Help us to model that to this community, Father, because they, they need to know about you too. We love you, Father. We love those around us. Use us to go and spread that love. Your name, amen.